I'm Charles Christoph Carter. And I'm Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find thrilling original content spanning everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice. Every review helps the show. Thank you. This marks the beginning of Season 1 of The Seal of Solomon, a new original series from us at Serial Dreadfuls. If you're wondering what happened to yard work, Season 2 is going strong, but can only be accessed by becoming a dreadnought at our Patreon page. Go on and click the link below in the show notes to join and enjoy two great series at a rock-bottom price. And now, without further ado, Serial Dreadfuls presents the premiere episode of its new original series, The Seal of Solomon, by Charles and Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised. The heat of summer had lingered much too long. Lee decided that in mid-September, just after Holly started back to school. She expected the heat to fade as it always had, banished by the first cool stirring breezes of autumn. But this year it had lingered on, hanging in humid layers across the dirty streets of the city. It had sapped her strength and at times threatened to shove her over the edge of reason into a pit of explosive hysteria. As she walked along Seaford Avenue, the heaviness of the unusually hot, humid air enveloped her. It was laden with black exhaust from the buses and cars, suffused with the acrid smell of unburned diesel fuel, the heavy odor of onions and hot dogs from a corner vendor, mixed with a scent of broiled hamburgers, french fries, and southern fried chicken from the various fast-food restaurants that were sprinkled along the avenue. The strange melange assaulted her senses in a noxious manner as she made her way down the crowded avenue. The merchants' brightly colored tawdry racks of clothes were unceremoniously displayed in front of their shops. In the dusty windows of some stores, the garments were neatly folded and looked leached of their dyes by the merciless sun, as if they had lain there for years. They were as faded as the dreams and aspirations of those who worked, shopped, and lived here. Lee didn't notice the dog until it was almost too late. He growled and lunged at her from the short leash that had been tied around the parking meter. He'd already marked the metal pole with his urine and had left a large pile of his excrement on the sidewalk next to it. 
The foul odor mingled with all of the other scents in the air. She found herself holding her breath in disgust until she had made her way well past the animal. Finally, she turned the corner off Seaford Avenue onto Camden Street, leaving the noisy confusion and some of the more offensive odors behind her. Camden Street probably had been, at one time, a respectable middle-class neighborhood. She saw evidence of this in the worn faces of the ornate buildings. There were still a few cracked gargoyles peering out from under the eaves. There were even squares of litter-strewn dirt regularly spaced down the block where trees had once dared to grow. Here and there, a portion of wrought iron railing still protruded from the outside wall of an apartment building, leading down worn steps to the broken sidewalk. Her block was sprinkled with a number of used cars, well-worn by previous owners, and finally purchased for a small sum. They now resided on a street that itself was on the downhill side of prosperity. Several youths in their late teens and early twenties, some leaning, some draping themselves across the hood of an early model American car, were passing their time listening to loud music from a radio. They were engaged in an animated conversation that was punctuated by unexpected bursts of raucous laughter. As she approached the car, she heard their crass comments and realized that they had become aware of her even before she had become aware of them. Their unwanted stares and barely intelligible remarks turned quickly to loud displays of bravado as she abruptly crossed the street. Hey, honey, you sure look fine. Don't walk away. We know where you live. Matter of fact, we're going to be up to get some of that white lovin' in a few minutes. Another voice added, Yeah, I'd like to get some of that white meat. And then they burst into laughter. She heard one of them remark, Yeah, I'll ride that bitch like the Lone Ranger rode silver. I'll have her whinnying for more. She glanced over her shoulder and saw two of them move away from the car and start to amble slowly across the street in her direction. Lee quickly mounted the marble steps and pushed against the heavy black iron door to her apartment building. The smell of disinfectant and urine greeted her like an unwelcome friend as the door opened slowly and then slammed shut behind her. Its reverberation echoed through the empty lobby. She quickly walked to the elevator, her heart racing. Were they actually going to follow her into the building? She had never seen them on this block before. She'd lived here for five years, and no one had ever made remarks to her like that. Who are they? And what are they doing loitering outside my building? We have to get out of this neighborhood, she thought. Lee pressed the elevator button. She glanced over her shoulder several times at the front door of the building. She didn't see anyone. When she failed to hear the sound of the motor humming and elevator doors closing, she became angry. The elevator, which had been out of order for weeks, was supposed to have been fixed today. She realized now that it hadn't been. As she turned and headed for the staircase, she glanced again at the front door, keenly aware that there had already been several people who had been robbed in her building. Two weeks before, there had been a woman she knew who had been beaten and robbed on the third floor. She wondered now if any of the teenagers outside were responsible. Angrily, she began the arduous climb to her fourth-floor apartment. That anger masked the fear that was quickly overtaking her. She kept remembering what the teenagers outside had said, and she quickened her pace. By the time she reached the first-floor landing, 
Her heart was beating faster against her chest wall. She noticed that someone had opened the barred window, allowing the sweltering heat to enter the stairwell. As she continued to climb, she realized that with each step, it was becoming progressively hotter, and her pace was slowing. She clutched the keys to her apartment in her hand, not wanting to fumble later for them in her purse. Below her, she heard the sound of the lobby door slam shut, and then two male voices speaking. But the narrow staircase transformed their conversation into an incoherent mumble. Was that them? Had they meant what they had said? Were they really coming after her? This was the first time she had truly felt frightened in her building. She clutched her purse closer to her body, and pushing through her fatigue, she began to take the stairs two at a time. In the heat and humidity and the closeness of the stairwell, her breathing became labored. Perspiration soaked her clothes, making them cling to her body. There was a loud bang. She hesitated for a moment, caught off guard by the sound, trying to place it. Finally, she realized that one of them must have hit the elevator door, probably in frustration. She waited to hear if the lobby door would slam again, but instead, she heard the heavy, hollow echo of their footsteps as they started to climb the stairs below her. She was two floors above them, and despite her labored breathing and the heat, she continued the pace she had set for herself. She reached the fourth floor landing and pulled hard against the fire door. Initially, it resisted her determined tugging, but finally creaked partially open. In her haste to slip through the narrow opening, her hand hit the edge of the closing door, causing her to drop her keys on the landing floor behind her. She pushed her weight back against the heavy door and wedged her body between the door and the jam, then squatted to retrieve her keys. She could hear the footsteps on the staircase just below her. She rose quickly, slipped through the fire door, and hurried down the hall to her apartment. There were two locks. One was a slam lock, and the other was a deadbolt with an iron security bar that went from the floor to the lock. As she placed the second key in the lock, she heard the fourth-floor fire door open. She turned the key and hurried into her apartment, quickly slamming the door behind her and shoving the iron bar into place. Panting from the exertion, she released the slam lock, turned and threw her purse on the small foyer table, and allowed her body to collapse against the front door. She listened as the footsteps and the two voices grew nearer. She realized that the footsteps had stopped just outside her door. Her heart was beating wildly against her chest. Above its rapid thudding, she could hear their voices. Lee waited for a long moment, unnerved. Perspiration ran down her face. The small apartment was stifling. She kept the barred windows closed and locked when she and Holly weren't home, even in this heat. It just wasn't safe to go out and leave them open. The sudden sharp knock startled her. She jumped and quickly stepped away from the door. Oh, my God, she whispered. Her stomach tightened. She tried to swallow, but there was no saliva in her mouth with which to perform that simple physical act. The sound of the knock had frozen her like a doe riveted in place by oncoming headlights. The knock came again. This time, it was more insistent. What do you want? Get away from my door, or I'll call the police, she said in a loud, stern voice edged with fear. A deep male voice replied, This is the police. Lee stepped back toward the door, 
slid the metal cover to the right and looked through the peephole. She saw the distorted faces of two men, their facial features exaggerated by the curve of the thick, wide-angle lens. She focused her right eye on the shield worn by the man closest to the peephole. She could read the numbers even through the distortion. Shield number 253. She closed her eyes and leaned her forehead against the door. Whatever they had to say, it couldn't be good. Everyone in this neighborhood knew that whenever a cop appeared at your door, it meant trouble. She inhaled deeply, trying to prepare herself for whatever news the two men brought. Her mind was racing through a series of unpleasant thoughts, the largest one looming in black silhouette out of the darkest corner of her mind was that something had happened to her daughter. Her fingers flew to release the locks that had, up until now, been a way of protecting her from the uncaring, violent world that lay just beyond her apartment door. Now they hindered her, held her prisoner, kept her from erasing that horrible, sick feeling of fear that was sweeping over her. Finally, she managed to release the locks and open the door. Mrs. Atherton? Yes? She heard herself reply, but it seemed like someone else's voice and someone else's body standing there in the hot, humid hallway. The two men looked at each other uneasily, and the first officer shifted his eyes back to her. Before he could continue, she blurted out, Oh, God, it's my daughter! The officer said, Yes, I'm afraid your daughter's been shot, Mrs. Atherton. She's been taken to the emergency room at St. Francis. His words were like a powerful open hand that suddenly appeared out of nowhere and smacked her heart across her face. Her stomach twisted in a knot, and then she experienced a feeling of floating. Lee heard one of the officers say, Mrs. Atherton, are you all right? But his voice seemed far away. Then she felt his hand catch her upper arm. His grip was strong yet gentle and somehow reminiscent of the type of physical support her husband would have given her if he'd still been alive. She wasn't a superstitious person, nor was she deeply religious, but somehow she couldn't quite dismiss the growing thought that some dark force was surrounding her, trying to take away everyone she had ever loved. What had she done? Why was this happening? Oh my God! Oh my God! Is she still alive? Those last four small words drifted out of her mouth and hung in the hot, humid air, demanding to be answered. And now, a preview of our next episode. Lee races to find a taxi to take her to the hospital. What condition will she find her daughter in when she arrives? Who shot her little girl? Join our Patreon site and become a Dreadnought. For only $3 a month, you'll receive early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic content such as ghost notes and commentaries by the writers of Serial Dreadful's original series, exclusive access to Season 2 of each series as those episodes are released, as well as access to the entire back catalog of all episodes in our various series as our podcast goes forward. All this for less than a cup of coffee from you-know-who. Face it, folks, you're not going to get a better deal for original content anywhere. 
So go ahead and click the link in the show description now to become a dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses.